You are listening to a podcast of Risen Savior Lutheran Church in Chula Vista, California. Growing in faith, living in hope, serving in love, all to the glory of God. Father, bless your word among us this day. Amen. The little boy was out having fun playing early in the morning. He was in the backyard of his house. And pretty soon, one and then two, little kittens came bouncing over from the neighbor's house and they wanted to play with him. And so he began to be entertained with these two little kittens. They were so playful and lots of fun. And mom looked out the window and she could see that he was having a good time. Pretty soon, one of the little kittens went bouncing back to where he came from, but one of them stayed behind. And it wasn't long before that kitten that stayed became a pest. Following him everywhere, bothering him, pretty soon he couldn't even get away from it. And he noticed that several times the cat even tried to climb up his leg, and he was wearing shorts, so those little needle-like claws of the cat really scratched his leg and he pushed it away, he pushed it away, but finally the third time he got so angry that he took his fist and he belted the little kitten and knocked it down. And then all of a sudden, not being able to realize why, he picked up a small rock and he hit the cat, the kitten, in its head. There, that'll teach you, he thought. And the kitten didn't move. So he just walked away, figuring that he had knocked it out, and went back to playing. But just a little while later, he came back just to see, and the cat was still there and hadn't moved. And he looked closely, and he noticed that the chest was not breathing. And suddenly he got that sick feeling inside of him that the kitten was dead. Now guilt just filled him up to the very brim. He had to hide the evidence. So he picked up the body of the kitten and he hurried to the back of the property and he dug a hole and put the kitten in and covered it up with dirt. And then he went back to playing and sort of put it out of his mind. Pretty soon he was called into the house and it was lunchtime and mom said she had noticed that he had been playing with the kittens this morning and he's probably hungry. And, but she also observed that he had some scratches on his leg and that he just didn't quite look the way he usually does. And she felt that something was wrong And so she asked about the kittens, and he got this expression on his face. And then finally she just said, what did you do? What happened? And he just bawled and burst out with tears and confessed that he didn't mean it, but that he had killed the kitten and buried it. And he looked at her with tearful eyes, shaking with his sobs and asking, What can I do to make up for this? 
That's a question that every one of you has asked in your life. What can I do to make up for the wrong that I have just done? And now, my friends, I have an answer to that question that you have asked, that I have asked. It's found here in Romans chapter 3. It's talking about the righteousness of God. And my message for you is the only righteousness, God's. The human way doesn't work. God's way is perfect. How can I feel right about myself? Don't you realize that everybody asks that question in every part of the world? Because we all are born with a conscience. And we have to ask that question. You know, things in my life have not always gone well. Things I know I have done wrong. How can I feel right about myself? The most common answer uh, that most people in this world use is simply to reduce the sinfulness of sin. Make excuses. Everybody does it. It's not so bad. And besides, I do quite a few neat things for other people that sort of balance the scale. I'm no worse than you or you. And for many people, that works for a while, but then after minimizing evil, it does creep back, and conscience might ask again, how can I feel right about myself? That's why God has put into His Word two magnificent little statements right here in chapter 3. One is, there is no one righteous, not even one. Do you realize that you cannot escape from that question ever in your life? because you can't escape from your sinful nature. There's nobody righteous. Or in our text, this simple little line that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's standard is something we all fall short of. And we know it. Especially you and me, who have been trained in this word of the Lord. We understand what God's standard is, the perfection. But it doesn't make you feel comfortable to know that you're a sinner. <laughs> so, enter Satan. Satan has found in this question and that struggle one of his most successful ways of deceiving people. Really. For as I already commented to you, you need to minimize sin. Lower the standard. Follow that? And don't feel guilty about things because other people do the same thing. And make comparisons of yourself. 
I mean, you're a whole lot better than a lot of people that you read about in the newspaper or see on TV. There are some terrible people in our society, and I know you're better. And that ought to make you feel good. You see, Satan has convinced the majority of the world to minimize sin and its guilt. And by the way, if, as the gospel of Jesus suggested, if you just happen to disagree with other people, you suddenly you realize that they will get angry at you for challenging their standard that they have lowered. <laughs> and they'll say something and maybe even begin to persecute you. True. So let's just take a simple review of how Satan has been quite successful. There are four major religions in the world. And they all stem from Asia. The far eastern end of Asia, you have Buddhism. And Buddhism has its fundamental just to follow the teachings of the past, respect your ancestors, beware of good and bad luck, and eventually you meet the standard and don't have to do too much. As we move in Asia a little bit farther, to the middle, we come to Hinduism. Hinduism is that amazing conglomeration of religions. They say tens of thousands, with thousands upon thousands of gods that have been brought into this conglomeration. And there the secret is very simple. If you live a good life, you're going to be reincarnated and come back in another time at a higher level. And your goal is to keep reincarnating and coming back at a higher level until you're finally absorbed into the divine. But if you don't live up to a good standard, you may come back at a lower level. <laughs> Let's move a little bit farther to the west, and we come to the Arab lands, and we run into Islam and Mohammedanism. It's as crass as can be. Follow the teachings and the rules of the Imam from the Quran and their interpretation, and you have it made. You're going to go to heaven, even justifying murder. You're saved by what you do. And then there's that little country on the far western end called Israel, and out of that came Christianity through Jesus. But are you well aware that, for example, in the world, Christianity has so many black eyes and bruises because so often has Christianity compromised and added work righteousness to the doctrine of grace. Major denominations really have the subtle influence of working your way. Satan has been quite successful, as I said, in befuddling people in this human way of how can I be right with God? How can I make up for what I have done? That's the question. But let me show you even further. I, I'm sorry if you don't think I need to, but do you realize how this has crept into our society and to our media, into education and everything? Do you realize that you can't go to school today without being bombarded by the theory of evolution? Taught as a fact that through lucky circumstances you have evolved 
out of a lower form of life. And there may or may not be any divine something out there that had anything to do with it. And if you would dare stand up and publicly say that evolution is nonsense and it's a theory unprovable and God is the creator of everything, as the Bible says, you will be ridiculed and, I believe, eventually even persecuted in America. Evolution is a religious belief everywhere. Let's look a little bit further. Do you realize that if you go into the media, you realize that there's no standards? You have to be old or have watched the reruns over and over again. But there was a time when I was young where the husband and wife in the scene had separate beds. Remember that? An Ozzie Harriet type approach. Look at the standard today. They're half or nearly nude. You know what I'm talking about. How that has changed. Why? Because in that same education from kindergarten on, there are no absolute standards because there's nothing that sets a standard. Once you remove God out of creation and that we've evolved, then there's no God who sets a standard of right and wrong, so there is no absolute standard of right and wrong, and therefore, you set the standard for yourself. Satan has been very successful. Now let's look a little deeper into media. One example will do it. You know Matt Lauer? NBC Today Show, he's been on for 20 years, 15 years. Matt Lauer has publicly said, in writing even, that the Supreme Court has nine justices. Six of the nine are bigots because they're Christian. Because people who espouse Christian beliefs are bigoted against those who do not. And then he added that one of the worst things that we can do in America's education system is to teach that the founding fathers were believers in God and have a strong religious content to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the things that began America more than 200 years ago. That should not be talked about because it's prejudicial. Do you understand Satan's success? That's just one little example. And if you start looking for it, it's everywhere. And I am fearful that someday there will be persecution against those who hold these narrow, bigoted opinions. But Jesus told us, don't be surprised if they persecuted me. They'll persecute you. Don't worry. I'll be with you. So that's why in these two verses, where is their boasting? Because the world loves to boast about its standards and teachings. It is excluded, he answers. There is no boasting possible. 
On what principle? That observing the law? No, because nobody keeps a law. There is no standard. But in that of faith, that's where you come in, faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith without or separate from law works. That's the way of God. Now, let me show that to you, the perfect way of God. I don't know if you caught the preposition or not, but as I read the Scripture to you, it says, there is a righteousness from God. Next verse, this righteousness from God. You understand? So it's a righteousness that God gives. It's a gift. That was in our reading today. It's a gift to you, the righteousness. So how can I make up for the wrong that I've done? How can I possibly have a standard that God has is so perfect? And he answers you. I will give you righteousness as a gift. It's from me to you. And here, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Is that clear enough? I'm wearing a robe. May I use it as a picture? This is the righteousness of God from Him covering me, not my old sinful self, but I am now covered in the robe of God's righteousness. And so God counts this righteousness that is mine by faith as keeping the standard of perfection of God, and it's called forgiveness. God forgives you. That's the wonderfulness of grace, the perfection of it. Do you want to understand the righteousness of God? Well, then just think of Jesus. What did he do? He talked to people to win them over, didn't he? He did kind things for them, feeding, healing, raising from the dead. He guided them. He corrected them. He taught them right and wrong. He warned them about their enemies that would persecute them, to prepare them. And he gave them a mission. Go out and talk about that the kingdom of God is here. And then what did he do? He made himself the sacrifice, didn't he? He allowed the world to murder him. But he rose from the dead and said, There, I've paid the penalty and I'm alive. And now I'm going to empower you Christians to go and change the world. And he has. Think of all the influence that Christianity has brought. Think of all the blessings we have in America because of Christian people. It's amazing. Do you understand that? Now verse 25 is an absolute gem. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. When you talk about that passage, immediately what comes to your mind from the language is the day of atonement. Let's go back for a moment into the Old Testament. The calendar of the Jews was given to them by God. The day of atonement was the supreme religious day. It falls in the September, usually, in fall. 
The day of atonement was the day in which the high priest took blood from a sacrifice, and for the once-in-the-year time, he entered into the Holy of Holies, that special cubicle room in the tent church or in, in the temple in Jerusalem, and he sprinkled the blood of that sacrifice on the mercy seat. You know, he's talking about the atonement cover. The object that stood in the middle of that little cubicle room called the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, the box made in the days of Moses covered with gold on two long poles. They carried it on their shoulders, and on top of it was a cover covered with gold, and there were two angels facing each other with their wings outspread. It wasn't very big, this long, this wide, this high. When he sprinkled the blood on the cover, mercy seat in the Old Testament, atonement cover in the New Testament, God forgave the nation for the year, just like that. The blood of the sacrifice was the substitute that gives you forgiveness. The penalty has been paid. Christ was the high priest. And the sacrifice, the blood that he brought, was his own. He allowed himself to be both priest and sacrifice. And that's why this verse then says that the Lord God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Remember, atonement is at one meant, making us at one, reconciling us through faith in his blood. When you and I believe that the blood of Jesus Christ, that sacrifice, brings me forgiveness, I have the robe of righteousness, and I am keeping the standard of God all out of His love. That's the gift. That's grace. Isn't that beautiful? Now may I, I tell you a most interesting story. I hope you find it that way. I'm going back to 1521. At the city of Worms in Germany, Martin Luther has been summoned, he thinks, for a debate about his teaching. But really, the emperor has called him there and gave him one simple choice. You retract and take back everything you've said, or you will be punished. We'll hunt you down and kill you. Luther refuses. Here I stand. His friend, the prince from Saxony, who believes Luther is right, recognizes that in days now they're going to declare Martin Luther a heretic and an outlaw, and then he can be hunted down and murdered. So when Luther leaves the city of Worms, disturbed, depressed, because it didn't turn out as he thought it would, he's kidnapped by friends, and they take him off and hide him at Wartburg in a castle. So from about May 1521 to the following March 1522, he's held in freely, he wants to, at the Wartburg castle, which was by and large pretty empty. He lets his beard grow, he dresses himself in a knight's costume, not clerical clothes, and he takes on the name of Knight George. And what he does for the nine months is that he translates the Bible from the Hebrew and Greek into German for the people to understand. That's what he's doing. 
But towards the end of the nine months, he hears that back in Wittenberg in Saxony, where he came from, there is a big disturbance going on because one of the preachers is causing all kinds of radical problems, and he needs to go back and straighten this out. So he leaves the Wartburg in March, and he begins the journey. It'll take him several days. And then when he comes to the town of Hena, he stops for the night at the Inn of the Black Bear. That's what it's called. He's sitting at a table. He has a beard. He's dressed as a knight. And he's reading out of a book. Two students walk in. The two students are from Switzerland. They're on their way traveling from Switzerland up to Wittenberg. Luther invites them to sit with him at the table, and they soon tell their story that they want so much to meet Martin Luther and hear the Reformation as it's now beginning to bloom in Germany. They want to be pastors. Luther tells them, I know for sure that right now he's not at Wittenberg. <laughs> the students don't realize who they're talking to. Pretty soon it's dinner time and the innkeeper comes in and announces that they should all move to the dining room and the dinner is ready. And the students demure and say, they really, they can't afford it. And the innkeeper says, no, somebody has paid your way, so you're welcome. And so they sit at the table having dinner and for the next several hours they listen to Knight George talk about the need of translating the Bible into the language of the people so that people understand for themselves what God's Word is. And they're impressed because they have observed that when he was sitting at the table when they first came in, the book he was reading was in Hebrew. What knight reads Hebrew? But it never dawned on them. Luther says goodnight to them all, and in the morning, they all go on their journey. Luther is in a hurry. He gets back to Wittenberg first. The students arrive. They brought their papers from the seminary in Switzerland, and they are properly received. And so one of the professors who meets them invites them to come into a large room where there are a bunch of other students and the faculty sitting and talking. And they walk into the room, and there, to their utter shock and amazement, sits Knight George, whom they soon discover is none other than Martin Luther. When they wrote of this event in their lives later on, they said it was the most rewarding of evenings, as they remembered, because Knight George taught them what the righteousness from God really means and that they rejoiced in the fact that they're forgiven by the grace of God. Isn't that your treasure too? Amen. Thanks for listening to this Risen Savior podcast. For more information about our church, check us out online at risensavior.us.